Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Fear is the most compelling human emotion. Probably around the time I got into Congress, we realized that fear does a great job of raising money and compelling votes. This is Playbook Deep Dive. After cycle after cycle of using fear, eventually you can destroy things and destroy democracies. I'm Ryan Lizza, one of your Playbook authors. And I'm at your service, along with hundreds of my colleagues here at Politico, to understand the mechanics of what's happening behind closed doors in our nation's capital. Today's cast is starring <laughs> Charlie Matessian. You said it, not me. Melanie Zanona. I've been a Hill reporter for almost 10 years. And, and Michael Cruz. Yeah, we're good. We're here to study the strategies of a lawmaker in Washington, D.C., to find out how she's a signal of big changes in not only D.C. politics, but politics in general. You might have heard about her. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Taylor Greene. Green. She's very combative. Some combination of Trump says outrageous things. The online marketplace perfected the art. Facebook of raising money online. What is it's more power focused? Twitter. Money is power. power. Power in Washington at the end of the day. You know, the phenomenon of outrageous politicians and extremist politicians isn't new. The rise of social media has really changed the game, right? Marjorie Taylor Greene raised more than $3.2 million in the first three months of this year from largely individual donors. And it's also interesting because a lot of people thought that after January 6th, when corporations and businesses were vowing to cut off contributions to Republicans who voted to overturn the election, that the GOP was going to take a huge, massive hit. But what we're seeing is that small donors, small individual donors, have more than made up for that void. And clearly, the energy in the party right now is with the far right. And so that is why you're seeing that amount of money with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Okay, so that's not an absurd amount of money, but that's more money than Republican Representative Adam Kinzinger from Illinois raised. He's seen MTG's rise up close. There's a lot of people now that are just really fighting for the power. They're fighting for the power of what being in power means. Representative Kinzinger could be a little tired of talking about MTG. <laughs> oh, I love it. Are you kidding me? No, look, it's, uh, it's, it's, it gets, it's, it is what it is, but you know, you get to deal with it. It is what it is because MTG is impossible for him to ignore. You know, you sit around and realize that she's kind of the spokesman for the party at the moment. What can you say about a party that includes Matt Gates, who said this about Marjorie Taylor Greene's press conference? Bravo, Marjorie Taylor Greene. That was so good, I almost had to smoke a cigarette afterwards. So you have Lindsey Graham today saying he's giving Marjorie Taylor Greene the benefit of the doubt because he had a, quote, very pleasant uh, time traveling with her and wants to know if her social media posts were manipulated. In defending Greene, House Minority Leader uh, McCarthy says Greene regrets her past statements. She said she was wrong, denouncing QAnon. I don't know if I say it right? I don't even know what it is. Remember, MTG has raised tons of money. 
Her support is despite, and maybe because, of the racist Islamophobic comments and conspiracies she's made. You know, they want to put their hand on the Koran and be sworn in? No. You have to be sworn in on the Bible. Q is a patriot. We know that for sure. I mean, is it going to be true that the child pedophilia and the elites in the Washington, D.C., is it going to be satanic worship? I have competed in sports, and I'm so thrilled that I was able to do that, but I competed against biological women. The generations of black and Hispanic men, do you want to know what holds them down? Gangs. The gangs are holding them back. It's not white people. Let me explain something to you, Mohammed. Muslims are not being held back in any way. What does her sudden rise in politics mean for the traditional gatekeepers of power in each party, like party leadership? Well, Kevin McCarthy, the House GOP leader, he used to be super friendly with reporters in the hallway. He was very talkative. Uh, And ever since some of these scandals came to light regarding Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ever since then, he has really stopped engaging with reporters in the hallways. Gatekeepers have been losing their power in American politics for a long time. That's sort of a long-standing problem in American politics. Okay, so what changed? What's different now is that no one can control the flow of money to members like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And so there's literally nothing you can do unless you're going to kick them out of your caucus or your conference, which they're not going to do. So... There is no gatekeeping to be done anymore. How did we get here? And is this moment an indication of a fundamental shift? My read on it is like this could be the beginning of a split in the Freedom Caucus and among the far right to an even more fringier right. Who's got power now? Who's lost it? And how will they, if it's even possible, gain that control back? I don't know the answer to this question. And they don't either, clearly, because they haven't haven't figured out. I mean... Stripping Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments in any normal world lessens her power on Capitol Hill. It does lessen her power on Capitol Hill. But what is power? What is the main source of power on Capitol Hill at this point? And who are the new gatekeepers? Individual donors, activists, social media influencers, and of course, the huge megaphones of cable news and talk radio. Members of this ilk can and do speak much more directly to their base through Newsmax, through OAN, through Fox News, although even that's a little bit mainstream at this point for some of them. We reached out to Representative Green's office, and we didn't have any luck. Neither did my colleague, Michael Cruz. Her chief spokesman called me a scumbag in an email that was in response to a request for comment. Which is a perfect sort of clue to this larger change I'm seeing. Why engage? Why engage with the the mainstream media? As in, she doesn't need establishment media like us, Politico, for example, to get her message out. To call somebody like me something like that. It's, it, it, it loses her no points with the people who are most important to her political capital, and if anything, earns her points. I don't think there's any way around that. The same way she rejected Cruz, she's also turning the traditional rites of passage in Washington, D.C. upside down. She doesn't need approval from the Washington elites in her party, and she's not the first nor the last politician to take advantage of these new levers of power. It used to be that you came to Congress, you kept your head down, you got yourself on a good committee, you worked your way up, maybe became a ranking member, maybe you got to leadership eventually, 
And that's when you became powerful. And that's when you started raising money. And that's when you started actually having influence in Congress, outside the halls of Congress, back home in your district. The rise of social media has really changed the game, right? Because now you can amass this huge following on Twitter. And we've seen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a liberal Democrat, use this model as well. Other members, senior members, were terrified of what she would tweet uh, about something that they were doing or if she didn't like the way things were being run. And while it's a different form of power and influence, I think it's definitely having an impact on how new members are coming into Congress and navigating the halls and navigating their way around Congress. Actually, I think we might be seeing a lot more politicians rise in a similar way, both on the left and the right. The MTG just perfected something that has been percolating for years. Remember the independent donor buzz around Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Or national figures like Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders? Even as far back as John McCain's 2000 campaign, the press, and I remember writing about this myself, was talking about how small-dollar donors and the Internet were combining to sweep away the traditional gatekeepers of the two parties. You know, like her or not, she's done a very effective job of harnessing that sort of grassroots energy, and we're seeing that translate into real dollars. What happens when local races start being about QAnon, or when a mayor's race becomes about abortion rights, when all of these local elections become federalized and get injected with contributions from hyper-partisan activists from all across the country. What do people want from their reps in Congress? Do they want them to be famous? Do they want them to be a show horse? Do they want them to be a, a, a Newsmax personality, Fox News personality, MSNBC personality for that matter? Or do they want somebody to just sort of <laughs> do the, the, the relatively mundane, not talked about, job as a public servant. I want to start with Cruz, the so-called scumbag. I just, you know. You interviewed scores of people for your recent profile of MTG. So Cruz, uh, easy question. Who is Marjorie Taylor Greene in, in a nutshell? Jeez, I don't know if that's easy. She's not just a suburban mom. She was a suburban mom who was heavily involved in CrossFit as a part-time trainer, as an owner of a gym. She was a suburban mom who was heavily involved in traveling around the state, the region, the country with her one of her daughter's competitive softball teams. I mean, these are the things she was doing not that long before she got sucked into politics and really social media, Facebook, uh, and that you know on the quick got her into electoral politics, which helped to create. MTG on Capitol Hill. So who are all of these donors? Our producer, Adrian Hurst, has been tirelessly calling some of these thousands of donors. And they're not just from Georgia, where she won her congressional seat. They're from, well, let me pull up my list. We've got Maine, Portland, Oregon, Hawaii, Manhattan. Hello, please leave a message after the tone. Hello, it's Margie. I'm sorry I'm not available to take your call. We are not available now. However, your call is important, so leave me a message. I'll call you back. After the beat, leave a message. You know what to do. Bye. Hi there. My name is Adrienne Hurst. I'm a journalist for Politico in Washington, D.C. I'm trying to reach Michelle. Thanks, Adrienne. I'll let you get back to that. Um, good luck. 
Okay. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Okay, so Cruz, after you published this profile of Representative Green, how did her office react? They loved it. They loved it. It scores points. It scores points for her. So just like she doesn't need the establishment press, she doesn't need establishment donors either, right? I mean, this is one other huge factor in Marjorie Taylor Greene's political ascent and and her political strength. She has raised colossal amounts of money since she's been in Congress by acting exactly the way she acts, saying the things she says, tangling with the appropriate enemies. The ease with which somebody like her can tweak and torque that outrage machine and rake in small small dollar donations really is a is a foundational change in the way that politics and the funding of politics operates and not even just on the right but certainly on the far right i mean the most the more more extreme you are the more known you are the more outrageous you are the more money you can bring in so the incentive is to continue doing that, to continue being all those ways and doing all those things. The, the, the way the game is played has, has, has changed so phenomenally over these last handful of years. It's really a, quite a new development. And I don't know that anybody on the political landscape at this point embodies that to quite the extent that Marjorie Taylor Greene does. You don't want big money to have such a dominant influence. It's a good thing to have more small dollars involved. You want people to be able to express political preferences through $20 a pop donations. That's a good thing. But Marjorie Taylor Greene's job is to represent Northwest Georgia. And it is to serve the needs of her constituents. Solve problems that are particularly pressing for that area of that state. The incentive structure as it has developed over these last handful of years has sort of twisted that priority that we took for granted, that the people who would be giving you money as a congressional representative would not exclusively, of course, but in some large part be the people you serve. And I think what it comes down to is what do the people of Northwest Georgia, of Georgia's 14th district, of any district, want? On that note, hey, Adrian, how are those calls coming? We're sorry. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. If you feel that you have reached this recording in error, please check the area code in the number. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. If you feel you have reached this recording in error, please check the number and try your call again. Mel Zanona is a congressional reporter for Politico, 
And she says that MTG raised $3.2 million in three months alone. January, February, and March, which is just bananas. That's a huge amount of money for a member of the house, for a freshman, for it to be the first quarter on an off year. They're you know nowhere near an election right now. These are Senate level amounts of money. Okay, so it's just it's a it's a whole lot of money that she's raking in. And it's also interesting because a lot of people thought that after January 6th, when corporations and businesses were vowing to cut off contributions to Republicans who voted to overturn the election, that the GOP was going to take a huge, massive hit. But what we're seeing is that small donors, small individual donors have more than made up for that void. And clearly, the energy in the party right now is with the far right. And so that is why you're seeing that amount of money with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Look, she doesn't have committee assignments right now. She's a backbench member of the minority. So she doesn't have any power in the traditional sense, um, you know, in the halls of Congress. She's not powerful or influential. But when you have a war chest that's over $3 million in just three months, that makes you powerful in a different way. Not only is she now going to be able to defend herself in a re-election and ward off potential primary challengers, but now she can play in other races and she can put up money to go against candidates who are anti-Donald Trump or support candidates who are pro-Donald Trump. And so that level of money gives her a lot of flexibility and it really just sort of gives her some staying power. And, you know, I called it Senate level amount of money, but if she wanted to run for Senate or higher office, she would have the financial means to do that. Whether she would be able to succeed politically is another question, but you know, money is a huge part of that equation. So you have on the far right, the House Freedom Caucus, and Marjorie Taylor Greene belongs to that caucus. Uh, and then I would say closer to the center, you have your Adam Kinzingers, um, the more moderates, some of the Republicans who voted to impeach. Uh, but most of the Republican caucus is... Uh, you know, somewhere in the middle, like they do uh, support Donald Trump and they were part of the establishment and maybe they voted to overturn the election. Uh, there were over 120 Republicans who did overturn the election, vote to overturn the election. Um, but most of them are not as fiery as Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is sort of an outlier in the conference. And even within the House Freedom Caucus, there is this emerging split we've seen. Uh, the, the Freedom Caucus was first created after uh, the Tea Party movement, and they thought that the House GOP, which is in the majority at the time, wasn't conservative enough, wasn't playing hardball. And that's really why the Freedom Caucus was born. It was mostly for conservative principles and fiscal uh, responsibility. We saw that evolve, especially under Donald Trump, to becoming a caucus that was really mostly dedicated about Donald Trump. It became Donald Trump's fan club. Um, but now we're starting to see that there is a split between those members who want to take stock of where the party is right now and you figure out what is the best path forward. They did lose the White House, the Senate, and the House under Trump. And I think some members um, are reluctant to do anything to jeopardize their chances of winning back the House next year. And so they don't want to engage in these sort of bomb-throwing tactics that have been a hallmark of the Freedom Caucus and that Marjorie Taylor Greene has been really quick to pick up. You know, she's been forcing procedural votes on the House floor. She's been forcing recorded votes on normally non-controversial bipartisan bills. And so that is the beginning of the, the split we're starting to see in the Freedom Caucus. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is at the center of that. 
with with Donald Trump, at the end of the day, they still liked his policies. Uh, yes, they were tired with the tweets and the rhetoric, but he was also in the White House and he was able to deliver for them multiple Supreme Court justices, a tax law, which they still tout as one of his signature legislative accomplishments. With Marjorie Taylor Greene, she has brought nothing to the table for them so far, uh, except for headaches, terrible headlines. She's been a drag on the party. She's overshadowed the freshman women. Uh, they have a historic class of freshman women, and yet who do you usually hear about in the news? It's Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. So I think the difference between her and Trump is that at least right now, I mean, she doesn't have a, a whole lot of power. She doesn't have committees. Um, and so they are just not rushing to defend her or step up for her the way that they defended Donald Trump. Members are very tired of talking about her. They'll sort of roll their eyes. They won't go there. They'll only talk off the record, which also I think speaks to maybe some of her potential power there, uh, you know, to go after people and people just don't want to mess with her. So we did find one member to talk to, Representative Kinzinger. You know, look, I actually said the words, the emperor has no clothes. He's had a front row seat behind the scenes and has closely observed her rise. When you start all of a sudden realizing that, you know, this is kind of bigger movement Q and, and there was some accepting of Q by her, that's, I think, what it was kind of like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And then you just watch the whole process, and this has been repeated by so many people, of just say outrageous things, be controversial, and raise a ton of money. That's the new model, and, you know, it's, it's sad, and it's a grift, and unfortunately, it works. Going out and and uh, and basically using a scam to raise money, right? And and that's what a grift is. It's somebody that's just more interested in raising the money, and uh, and that's what we have. So I think we need to expose it, uh, but it's going to take some time. I think it's going to take a while. And what has happened now is with the advent of so much news, the advent of so much kind of right and left wing news and talk shows and all this stuff, people have been convinced that they know more than members of Congress, and many of them probably do. But um, if I go back, for instance, I say like on the defund Obamacare, that look, you can't defund Obamacare. It's just not physically possible. And they're like, well, you know, Rush Limbaugh said you could. I believe him, not you. That's new. That's relatively new in American history. What Marjorie Taylor Greene has realized is if you use fear and you say, you know, look, I won't be silenced, that kind of stuff, right? And I'm going to impeach Biden on day one, which makes no logical sense. That raises money and it raises money in small donor increments because, you know, these people out there that, you know, frankly, they, they're scared because they're told to be scared. So they're frightened. And then they see a person come out and say, look, I'm going to do CrossFit and then, you know, do CrossFit in Congress or whatever the heck kind of like thing she tries to do with that. It's like, if I give $20, I can help to fix this fear that I have innate in my heart. And so, you know, yeah, it's very effective. And I think the only thing we can do is call out that that is false BS that's being used, that it is fear that is, that is being used to, to take money from people that are, that are just truly scared and hope that people wake up to the grift. Because if they don't, it will continue. I would love to see real campaign finance reform, but that's going to take a constitutional amendment, which is not going to happen anytime soon. So I think we have to be you know, very open with people about the fact anytime somebody says something outrageous and then follows it up with an ask for money, you know, make sure that you know what you're giving to and make sure you know if what that person's telling you is true or not. 
what's happened is, and I think, you know, part of this to blame is kind of this idea of C-SPAN, even though we need C-SPAN, it's important. But that went from like, now that everybody's watching every moment of what we do on committee and on the floor, it's gone from, hey, let's have a real discussion and ask questions to everybody's giving a prepared speech for one or two minutes or five minutes so they can take that C-SPAN clip and put it on Facebook. And so behind the scenes when you're meeting on, okay, we have this bill on privacy that we want to try to work with Democrats. That's where the real discussions happen. Sometimes it's staff to staff. Sometimes it's member to member. And you come to those negotiations and then everything else when you get to committee or when you get to the floor is kind of performative arts. It's trying to win people over to your side and and it's fine because there's still those discussions that happen. But, uh, you know, otherwise everybody walks around, says hey to each other. And uh, unlike uh, House of Cards, for instance, we don't typically go around killing people. But, uh, you know, it's uh, – yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> I predict it's going to wane. I, I think in the in the – it's still been only really three months since January 6th. In the grand arc of kind of history, that's a short amount of time. Americans always move on. They always move forward. And and I think every day that goes by, a little bit more of the spell of the past is going to be broken. I think the challenges we face, that's going to happen. It doesn't mean it's going to be broken in two years or even four. But I think it's if we go 10 or 20 years into the future and look back, this will be a moment in the Republican Party and not the defining of the future. Because look, each party has to represent basically half of Americans. They will always kind of come back to where they need to get that 50% of the vote, and I hope it's sooner than later. Predicting the future is something journalists try to stay away from. But senior politics editor Charlie Matesian says that this moment that Representative Kinzinger described might last a while. And these gatekeepers we keep talking about, they've been losing power for a long time. The only gatekeepers left are not just voters, but primary voters, because most members of Congress play to the primary uh, voters because of gerrymandering. So many members of Congress sit in safe districts. The only elections that really matter aren't the ones that happen in November because they sit in safe seats. The really important ones are in the primary. So if there's any gatekeepers, it's the party base because party leaders don't have any authority anymore because they can't control your access to money. They can't control your access to anything if you're a member of Congress. Parties just don't have that power anymore. You're seeing more and more members minting money through online fundraising, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is the latest uh, example. She happens to be an extreme example, someone who just raked it in through online appeals, and that's really in many ways the wave of the future and why we'll probably see more members like Marjorie Taylor Greene in the future rather than less members. And, you know, it's the result of a uh, something close to a revolution in, in fundraising that's happened over the last two decades where we've moved from direct mail, where it used to be that members of Congress and politicians sent mail to old people, scared the heck out of them, and then got them to send, you know, small dollar amounts via the mail. Now, members of Congress and senators and all politicians do this, but they just do it via email and they do it online. Uh, and w for one reason, it's it's much cheaper than ever before. And they've gotten really good at it. And the more polarizing you are as a politician, the better you do. And the more you mint money with your online appeals, because what you do is you just drive up the anger and the rage and it just gets the cash pouring in. 
I mean, for many members of Congress, it's a great thing that they're no longer beholden to K Street interests or big lobbies funding their campaigns. But the problem is the extremists that really do well doing this. And that's where the problem begins to come in. It gives you an, an idea of the extent to which all of our elections have become nationalized. Obama did it as a uh, aspiring national figure, and Bernie Sanders did it as an aspiring presidential candidate as well. And so they had broad audiences that they could tap, and they managed to inspire those audiences with their messages. And uh, Bernie Sanders in particular, I think, stunned the political world with how much money he was able to raise. And you saw in 2020 lots of people trying to follow the same model on the Democratic side. But it's not just presidential elections anymore that are nationalized. It's Senate elections. It's House elections. It's even attorney general and governor races. It's, you know, at some point we're probably going to be nationalizing county commission races. And, and you know, that doesn't seem to be such a healthy phenomenon. Well, thanks, Charlie. That is a bummer. Right. But part of the problem is Congress is already broken. It's not like Marjorie Taylor Greene broke Congress. She saw an opportunity, she saw an institution, and she figured out a way to work within the boundaries of that broken institution. So the problem runs much, much deeper than her and isn't going to be solved when she she leaves Congress. The problem gets solved when we somehow figure out a way to lessen the polarization within the system, the polarization that has uh, given us uh, a a Congress that is unable to function in, in many ways. All right, that's our show. Oh, wait. Adrian? Have you gotten anywhere with that donor list? Well, I don't want Democrats anymore, anymore, period. And nobody seems to think where they're taking this country. They're taking us down in the toilet. Excuse my language, but that's where they're taking (laughs) us. Back really worse than that. I appreciate you taking my message. Yes, ma'am. I will give him the message and tell him to call you. Thank you so much. Like I said... Like I said, I don't know when he'll get to it. <laughs> well, no worries. Uh, we we got to make on... the money to donate the money. <laughs> okay, well, stay tuned for that callback. Our producers are Annie Reese and Adrian Hurst. Our senior producer is Jenny Amint. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you're listening. We'll be back next week with another Playbook Deep Dive. Thanks for listening. Okay, this is just going to ring forever.